Siege of New Hampshire series by McRowland. Book Two, Siege Fall. Welcome back, listeners. Now that we've completed Book Two, I'd like to take a moment for a bit to look back and to ask you a couple of questions. First, the look back. Book One was all about Martin getting home at the start of a massive grid failure. Book two was the logical follow-up. Making it home was nice, but then what? There was still a grid failure. As time goes on, Martin and the people of Cheshire discover that government aid came with strings attached. The people of Cheshire, and later the governor, declined federal aid because of those strings. Because of New Hampshire's refusal, the government cuts off any aid and even imposes an embargo on supplies getting to New Hampshire. The government imposes a sort of economic and logistic siege of New Hampshire to try to force them into compliance. When I wrote Siege Fall, it seemed a bit of a stretch that the federal government would use such heavy-handedness on its own people. But it was important for the plot that aid would not be coming from somewhere else. The people had to cope with the outage with only their local resources. Since I wrote the book, I've seen how governments and large organizations are increasingly using their economic embargoes to impose their will, like boycotting a state if they passed a bathroom law they didn't like, or imposing huge fines on any company that didn't tow the party line on COVID mandates, or a government deciding that its opponents, which were actually citizens, truckers in this case, were suddenly terrorists and freezing their bank accounts, etc., etc., a siege like in the book didn't seem so far-fetched anymore. Because of that government embargo on aid coming into the state, the people of New Hampshire must fend for themselves, making do with whatever they had on hand. Part of that making-do process is Martin, his neighbors, and the townsfolk of Cheshire developing into more of a community, relying on each other, starting almost from scratch. That's one of the core themes of Siege Fall, the power of community. Despite the popularity of the lone wolf prepper notion, which has its appeal, survival can be easier in a community. Neither Martin's household, nor the neighborhood, or the town for that matter, were prepared to act as a community before the grid failed. Their community came about slowly, more organically, than by any clever strategic design. Neighbors helped neighbors, people helped strangers, they started to get involved in each other's lives. Modern life usually is lived in bubbles. No real need to know your neighbors. That's pretty common in the cities. Don't make eye contact. Mind your own business. It's pretty common in the suburbs, too. Commute into the city to work. Drive to some mega shopping plaza to shop. Drive to distant events. Soccer practice. Friends somewhere else. The town where your house is is really just a place to sleep. But that alone-in-a-crowd phenomenon reaches into small towns, too, as cars and the Internet have made it possible to live farther into the country and yet still work in the city. Small-town life hasn't always been that way. Up until the early 1900s, daily life in New Hampshire's small towns stayed pretty close to home. A lot of people worked at home, mostly on their farms. Townsfolk knew each other because they worked for each other. 
It was typical to trade labor, like neighbors helping someone bring in a crop of hay before the storm hit. Many had their family farm, but would also work in the sawmills for a couple of months in the spring when the streams were flowing. A few of them made wooden barrels and buckets that their neighbors would use. The blacksmith made your hardware, nails, hinges, farm tools, etc. A few people in town were shoemakers. <laughs> Shoes. That reminds me of what might seem like a bit of a random tangent, but it's a good example of local connections in the everyday things. Shoes are a good example of that interconnectedness of small-town life. One local historian wrote about how several town residents made shoes, often as a supplement or a side gig to their farm work. If you wanted a new pair of shoes, you'd ask one of these folks to make you a pair. You didn't go to some big store, peruse shelves full of shoes, and pick out the pair you liked. No, the shoemaker made the shoes on demand, more or less. Sometimes the leather for the shoes was purchased from a supplier in the big city. Other times it was locally processed. A couple of months ago I was browsing through an old general store ledger from the early 1800s. That shopkeeper was trading goods for bushels of oak bark. Lots and lots of oak bark. He was also trading for skins, as the ledger called them. Apparently the shopkeeper was also a tanner, making leather locally. So, a resident's shoes could be made from leather, scraped, tanned, and trimmed by that guy with his little shop up on the hill. A shoemaker, who the customer also knew, usually employed three or four helpers, local lads that the shoe buyer probably knew too. This was kind of a long-winded bit of history, but my point is that something as mundane as getting a new pair of shoes connected you to your community. You knew the shoemakers, and they knew you. Small-town folk, over a hundred years ago, were already living in a functioning community. The town of Cheshire, in the story, is one of those small towns that had traces of that old community spirit, but that sense of interconnectedness had been severely diluted by dozens and dozens of modern suburban families who only slept in Cheshire and were content to stay in their bubbles. They didn't interact with anyone in town. Martin was as guilty of that bubble-thinking as anyone else, you might recall. He and Margaret were content to live their isolated little quiet lives. All that was fine enough until the grid failed and popped everybody's bubbles. Then they needed to get involved with each other, go to town meetings, help neighbors, start working with neighbors. Setting up the town farm, the dairy, and fetching some cows were all projects that benefited the community. So was organizing themselves for a common defense. They started out as virtual strangers, but were learning, by trial and error sometimes, how to be a community. Few of us nowadays live in an 1800s-style community. We've been isolated by our cars and even more by the Internet. Being connected to the world often disconnects us from our neighbors. But in a crisis or a natural disaster... What people are saying in countries across the ocean or several states away just won't be all that important to us anymore. We'll be busy trying to cope with the basics at home. Food, water, safety. I'd venture a guess that very few of us live in a neighborhood that is already a well-trained mutual assistance group. If you are in one of those, congratulations. That's awesome. For the rest of us, however... If it were to be such a widespread outage, we'd be surrounded by neighbors who were all in the same boat, 
all trying to sort out food, water, power, safety, learning to work together to be a community will probably be awkward at first, since everyone will be used to living in their own bubbles, but it'll be worth the effort. Book three, Hunger Season, continues the story of people in Cheshire as they try to get ready for a New England winter without the comforts of the grid. Speaking of book three, this is one of those questions I mentioned at the outset. I'm considering some possible alternatives for posting these chapters, and I'd like to get your opinion on which way to go. As you might guess, podcast hosting services aren't free. In an effort to defray those costs, I'm considering a few options. The first option would be to let Podbean insert ads into each episode. I really don't know how much revenue ads would make. Online advertising can give pretty low returns. A second option would be to leave the episodes free, like they are now, but have each listener buy me at least one coffee sometime during the chapters of Book 3. Some of you already have bought me a coffee, and for that, I'm really grateful. Thanks. A third option would be to post the chapters of Book 3 to a premium podcast channel. This could be a one-time fee for access to all of Book 3's episodes, or it could be a monthly subscription. Book 3 has 20 chapters, so at four episodes a month, it would run about five months. I've created an online survey page so you can let me know which route you'd prefer. The URL is a bit obtuse for being read out loud, so I've created a blog post with a clickable link. That blog is at mick-roland.com slash blog. But if you're good at verbal URLs, the survey is at freeonlinesurveys, that's all one word, dot com slash s, the letter s as in Sam, slash six, the number six, i, d as in David, b as in boy, z, Zulu, u, u, three. Yeah, I know that's kind of tedious. But free online surveys wanted to charge me $20 for a simpler URL. I'll post the survey URL in this podcast description, too. I don't think it'll be a clickable link, but you can copy and paste it into your browser. The free surveys are only active for two weeks, so this one will be active until March 25th. I'd like to know what you think. If you have any trouble with the survey, you can always just email me. That's mick at mick-roland.com. That'll work, too. That leads me to my second question. Would you like a free copy of Book One as an audiobook? I took all of the podcast chapters of Book One and turned them into an audiobook on Audible. I had a few people over the years ask me if there was an audiobook version of my books. They'd tell me how they don't have time to sit and read, either on a Kindle or a hard copy, they like to listen to audiobooks while they commute or do chores. The only books they consume were audiobooks. For a long time, I hadn't seriously considered an audio version of the Siege story, since it looked like it would cost thousands of dollars to get even one of them produced. Who's got thousands of dollars, right? Last year, a friend coaxed me into doing the audio myself. There was a bit of a learning curve, but I muddled through. On the way to getting the whole book read... I figured that I could share the chapters as I read them as a podcast. Getting an audio book on Audible presented a new set of techno-hurdles, 
but I pushed through those two and finally got book one published as an audiobook. Phew! What I didn't know going in is that Audible gives authors several codes for free copies that they can use for promotions, etc. I'd like to give you one of those codes for a free audiobook version of Plan B Revised as a thank you for being a regular listener. If you'd like one, email me. That's again at mick at mick-roland.com, and I'll send you the code. I know you've already heard book one as a podcast, but maybe you'd like to have the audiobook with all the chapters together and without all of that intro and outro stuff for your own audio library. Or you could give the code to a friend who you think might like the story. It's up to you. Let me know if you want one. It's a limited supply, so first come, first served. And, if you're so inclined, you could leave a review on the Audible site. I got a couple of reviews from listeners who were, I guess, expecting something other than what the story is. It seems like disgruntled people are more vocal than satisfied people. That kind of reminded me of when I was a fry cook at a restaurant after high school. I worked the 11-7 shift. Bar rush was the busy period, and sometimes difficult given the state of the clientele. People who liked their meals very seldom said anything. People who were displeased were more prone to make a stink. Whether their displeasure was justified really didn't matter. Like one guy complaining that the center of his rare steak, which was what he ordered, was pink. He felt miffed and wanted everyone to know. Book reviews seem kind of like that. So, if you're happy with the audio story, consider giving the cook a good word. It helps balance the cranky folks who expected no pink in their rare steaks. Well, now that we've heard the last chapter of Book 2, I'm going to take all of those chapters and turn them into an audio book as well. Stay tuned for a similar free coupon offer for that one as well. For now, have a great day, and we'll see what the survey says next week and where it looks like Book 3 might wind up. Thanks again.